Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 518. And I'm crazy excited about this one. Uh, we discuss right at the end how mad it is that this guest hasn't been on before. Because we've got so many mutual friends. I'm a huge fan. It's Bridget Christie. And we have a wonderful chat. It seemed like perfect timing because Bridget, I mean, basically... Sorry, if you're just tuning in for the first time, I've got a stammer. Basically, Bridget's new show, The Change, is on TV tonight. And I caught Bridget at the end of a day of PR, which can often mean you're getting someone who's a bit down-tempo, a bit worn out by it all. And she was beaming and buzzing about her new show, about her tour, about everything. So, yeah, it was perfect timing. I'll say I'll say once again, The Change is on tonight on, on, on Channel 4, which is hugely exciting. Also... On Sunday, July 9th, at the Open Air Theatre Regents Park, you can go and see Bridget Christie and Friends. We talk about that a little bit. But then we also talk about Bridget's Fringe Run. So it's going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe and then doing a wonderful, exciting tour. So at the Fringe from the 2nd until the 10th, and then in September is hitting... Maidstone, Oxford, Brighton, Swindon. What is that place? L- Launston? Launston? Is that a place? Launston? Anyone who's tuning in from Launston? Lanston? Lanston? It's probably Lanston, isn't it? Launston? Anyone tuning in? This is now a podcast all about Launston. We're not going to get to the chat. Anyone tuning in from Launston? Fucking holler at your boy and tell me how to pronounce a- your town. Anyway, after the trauma of going to Launceston and having to say Launceston numerous times. Bridget is continuing on to Plymouth, Torquay, Exeter, Cardiff. (laughs) Why can't I say any names of places? Is Worcester, is is that Worcester? W-O-R-C-E-S-T-R. Is that just Worcester? It is, isn't it? I'm just tired. Hay fever's hitting me really bad this year, guys. It's getting me in a mess. Um, Isle of Wight, Reading, Portsmouth? No, I know that one. Bangor, Aberystwyth, and somewhere called Stratford. God, this is the worst advert for Bridget's tour ever. Sorry about that, but it's going to be really good and it's going to be really exciting. Um, While I've got you here, I wrote um, some spoken word for a new song and short film produced by Steve McQueen for Greenpeace, starring Will Poulter, and it's called Don't Stop. And there's some spoken word at the end of it. It's a reimagining of the Fleetwood Mac classic. Don't stop thinking about a t- a tomorrow and so on. And it's really good. The MC they've got on it's amazing. The bands, the production, everything's amazing. And the film's amazing. So check that out on Greenpeace's Instagram or on their YouTube. As you hear this, they're going to be performing it live at Glastonbury. It's going to be There's going to be a two-minute version on screens at Glastow. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's really just drilling home how we have to stop the party and stop the people who are the last people dancing at the party and kind of figure out our strategy. Anyway, there's loads more information in Greenpeace stuff um, on their website and stuff. Again, I just can't speak today. Hay fever. I'm telling you, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, we're brought to you as ever by Speech Development Records.com. We've got a few of the dark summer that we may not be for you and that's fine sunglasses left we've got a few of the swimming costumes left, which I didn't realise. I thought they'd, they'd sold out. 
but we found a few. We've got all sorts of stuff over there. Head over, get your summer goods at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. 90% of the stuff is on reduction still because we reduced the price of everything as soon as the the cost of living crisis came in. Um, Also, every time you order something from there, we plant a tree for you. So there's some good reasons to go and get all this stuff. But if you don't need it, don't get it. Um, you can also head to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip to support the podcast for like a dollar a month. That helps pay Buddy Peace and, J- and John Harris and, and Jared and all the people kind of behind the scenes. And twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pip. Yo, I did another DJ set at the weekend. So um, keep an eye out for stuff like that, eh? Anyway, let's get on with the podcast. This is episode number what number did I say? It's 518. If you're if this is your first time tuning in, check the back catalogue. We've had people like Sarah Pascoe, Josie Long, Ashlyn B, Catherine Ryan, Louis Theroux, Stephen Fry, Richard Herring, Stuart Lee, all sorts of wonderful people. So dig into that back catalogue and have a good look around. Yeah. So this is episode 518 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Bridget Christie. Let's begin. Hello. Hello. How's it going? How are you? Yeah, great, thanks. Yeah, I'm really well. What's that painting behind you? It's by a guy called Heath Kane, and he did this (gasps) series where he got a load of kind of old paintings of monarchs and rich people, because his belief was all of them have the money to have been Batman, but chose not to. (laughs) So so had the money to fight crime if they'd wanted to and and be these vigilantes, but instead didn't. So it's and it says history is written by the winners. Oh, it's brilliant. And I love your massive chunky crucifix. It's a it's a stormtrooper on the crucifix. So Wow, um, who did that? So it's so it's a little Star Wars. It's a guy called Riker. An artist called Riker. Oh. And the crucifix is made up of bits of like oh, of the yeah. ships. So wow. There we go. That's really cool. But I'm joined today by Bridget Christie. How are you in like as a person in the world? Obviously, you're in the middle of loads of promos, so there's all of that kind of thing that we'll get into. But how are you? Are you are you okay? I'm great, thanks. As a person in the world, yes, I'm enjoying this spring summer weather. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? I'm just generally a really happy person. I love it. I'm pleased to hear it as well, because as as we speak, yesterday the trailer dropped for your new show, The Change. So what's kind of the balance of anxiety and excitement at the moment? How's how's that ratio going? There's no anxiety at all. I love which it. is I know, isn't that it's a real first for me. Like and I think it's because with something like I can't really compare it to anything, but with something like a big live show or something, yeah, I don't know how it's going to go, and I'm going to have to perform that. Whereas this is kind of it's it's done, right? It was yeah. delivered, you know, in November, and and it's going out, and there's all these great people in it, and I think because it was like an ensemble, and like a TV show is a collaboration where multiple people are involved. It's not just me standing yeah. there and yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a there's a whole team of people involved and a thing has been made. 
And and do you know something from the whole process is from beginning to end is probably about seven years actually. Wow. So it doesn't feel like this new thing that's you know I don't know what's going to happen with it. it. It's like I've been on a journey with it for a really long time, and I would just yeah. want it. I want it out there. Um, you've, you've made what you wanted to make, and now yeah. finally people get to to see it. That's so, so, so exciting. That's so exciting to have got to that point. Oh, how often does this happen? And actually, I was just saying to somebody that there was no point in this entire process, even if I go back seven years, and because the the show has really evolved quite a lot. The original pitch was slightly different. The orig- the script that was originally commissioned was slightly different, but it was a long time ago, so it still had a lot of the, the similar themes, you know, someone in midlife, life hasn't quite worked out, so still those... Um, themes of loss of sense of self and a, and a loss of purpose yeah. and identity and all those things and mortality and the value of time and the environment and the geographic location. I always wanted to write something in the Forest of Dean. But as time went on, with TV and film, as you you may know, takes a very, very long time yeah. to actually get on screen. Yeah. So during that writing process, I changed. I became older. I hit the menopause, COVID happened, we were in lockdown. And then, you know, I got a, a taster and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And at, at every stage of it, I was really aware that I I had to live in the moment because not many people get to do this. N- not many e- yeah. not many people get to even get to the pilot stage, to be honest with you. Of course. And it's it seems like a rare and exciting project where as time passes, your excitement will maybe have grown because of the nature of the story. Like I've, I've, I've got a few scripts in development. One of them I've got myself in as the lead, and he's kind of mid thirties, and I'm now just getting into my forties, <laughs> and I panic every year that goes by. Like I'm not going to be able to play that role, am I? Because it's key, key that he's younger. But because this character is about someone getting older and changing and evolving, yeah. it feels almost like every year that's gone by, and as you listed, all the different dramatic things that have happened in those years kind of improve and inform the character and the story yeah, more, right? Exactly, yeah. So, And also, you know, HS2 happen, happened, yeah. you know, and and Extinction Rebellion and, and all these things. And so, actually, I really feel like I don't feel that this should have happened at any other point, like in my career or in my life or anything like that. I feel... I feel Really, and I'm not being fatalistic, but I, I really do feel like it's a special project that exists now for a reason. Like it couldn't have happened at any other point because yeah. I hadn't had those experiences and the world was different, you know. And I feel like the time for this show is exactly right now. The time for this show is is the 21st of June, summer solstice 2023. And there was no other day that it could have come out, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's this weird sort of kind of synchronicity and like serendipity of the show, like lots of weird little things happened on it. The people that were drawn to it were certain types of people. It, it just feels like there's a there's an energy to it that I've not felt with any other um, projects or, or, or work before. It, it just feels um, like a special little beast. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's loads of things I want to talk about, but I need to stick on this longer because I genuinely think it's it's so ex- exciting. Num- number one, like, oh, has you. the tone ch- changed much? Because the tone of the trailer surprised me a little bit. It was kind of darker l- looking than I expected, like l- l- literally in the style of 
a thing because a lot of comedy stuff on Channel 4 is quite or can be quite bright and and things like that. And this leans more towards things like Flowers and shows like that, which I adore. Was that always your thought, that it's going to be a mix of drama and comedy and all of these things? Uh, The vision for it originally, in terms of what it looks like, was there kind of seven years ago. The reason that this story is set in the Forest of Dean is because it's the location of my childhood kind of dreams and memories. I'm from Gloucester and I spent a lot of time weekends having picnics and going for walks in the Forest of Dean. And the films that I was watching at that time in the 70s, late 70s, were things like The Deer Hunter and Deliverance. And so in my mind, I wanted to create... The show is very nostalgic. The change is very nostalgic for me because it's about trying to kind of distill my childhood memories and to get them onto the screen. So we used certain lenses, anamorphic lenses, to make it look more cinematic and like those um, influences of mine at at the time. And we used a certain colour palette as well. And also The Forest of Dean, I wanted it to be like almost another character, which in those films where you are, the sense of place is really important as well. Something like The Deer Hunter, you have this very industrial um, element to it. The same as The Forest of Dean, you have these small industrial towns that are uh, now, they're very disenfranchised and you have them against a backdrop of this natural beauty, the trees in the background. Mm. And so that's what I wanted to kind of see and show. And so lots of locations, you see those two things. So the town of, of Cinderford and you see these trees in the background. That was a really interesting thing to me to show that in the industrial towns against that against that beautiful backdrop. Yeah. Because it always felt to me as a child that the Forest of Dean, I don't know if you've been there, it's a really magical place yeah. and it's not yeah. like anywhere else. It feels timeless, you know? I think there's, there's, there's something really beautiful about getting the opportunity to bring those l- locations that in your life have been so s- cinematic, because our memories become yeah. cinematic in a way. They so do, don't all they? of your yeah. memories of this location, but it's a location that not that many people else will know. So it must have been beautiful yeah. to kind of go, look, I've had this film set in my head my whole life, and now it gets to become an actual film set, and we get to, to make I this. I know. Who gets to do that? And in terms of, there might be a kind of... A, a kind of an Americana sort of vibe to it. In the there's mm-hmm. a vehicle that the Eel sisters uh, drive a Chevy, and that um, some of the costume decisions, like the Verderer with his cowboy hat and the boots and stuff like that, that is because as a child the guys would wear these sort of lumberjack shirts and check shirts, you know. And there was always a guy who had like an old American car or a Chevy, and so they're there not because. Of, of just because they're there. They're there because of that's what my memory of, of the forest was like as a child. Yeah. So everything is really deliberate. I remember the first time I was in the edit and I, I saw it on screen, I just had a little bit of a cry because uh, that vision was realised, I felt, by, you know, by the DOP and the director, which was, which was re- I think it's really rare to end up with something that was your original vision for something, you know, and it's down to how like, the Eel Cafe was was designed as well. It has that kind of Appalachian look to it, you know, yeah, where the Eel yeah. sisters have their have their cafe. But it's all invented and it was all created. So thank you. Yeah, I, I, it does have a really specific pace and tone and vibe. And that was because it's a comedy drama as well. It's not a sitcom. Yeah. Although the first half of the first episode 
is very much so like, you can, I don't want to say ordinary, but like um, a, a sitcom setup. You know, yeah. you're in the house and yeah. there's a family. That's why we have the pre-titles, the, the pre-titles, the black and white pre-titles that um, are before you get into the house in the first episode of the of the first series. Yeah. They're there very deliberately to tell you, oh, what's this? We're going to be going somewhere else. It's going to be weird somewhere. <laughs> somewhere along the line. But then we're in this very ordinary setup of domestic suburbia, which has been sort of lit and coloured in a certain way to pull the colour out of it, which which means that once you get to the forest at the, the end of the ad break, it's much more vibrant. Uh, and those two worlds are very clearly defined. So she's leaving her old life behind um, yeah. and then she's starting this this new life. So it was really set the setting up of these two worlds and they're very different. And I'm not sure that one works without the other. You have to see where Linda's come from and you have to know that her she didn't have much in her life. Obviously she loves her kids and her husband and her family, but she didn't have something that was that was hers. Right, yeah. And and so that's why she gets into this, she tells this little white line that snowballs, you know, but by the ad break, by the end of the first half of the first episode you're gone and that whole backstory is done yeah. you know who she is why she's going and, and that's it here's yeah. the important points and now we're off on our way now we're off on our way yeah I, I love how nostalgia can work and how confusing it can be particularly when you bring in like americana and stuff like that because the americana influences in the uk in the, the 70s will in fact be more 50s and 60s American yeah, like kind of thing. And, and it yeah. does that with like the 90s in the UK and things yeah. like that. It's these weird little things. So, And films like American Gra- Graffiti came out in the 70s, but it's a 50s and, and 60s film. And I think it can be so... I love how that can warp things. So the kind of, I would agree, l- lumberjack shirt, some kind of Chevys and stuff like that feel quite... British 70s, when in reality they're American 60s at the latest or 50s, you know, earlier. All that kind of thing's fascinating, particularly when you're presenting it in a story in England, in in the woods, essentially. So it's a beautiful mix, right? I think, well, I hope so. I mean, on the one hand, I think it is quintessentially British, the show, and looks it. Yeah. You know, uh, and because the characters are very, very British and you've got, you know, you've got folk music and the folk festival and things like that in it. So, yeah, I I, I think I've made it, well, I hope it's a very British-looking show because in lockdown I became sort of very... Like I fell in love with my country again, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I remember watching things like The Dig and Gone Fishing, like with Paul and Bob. Yeah. And I was really reminded of how, not just how beautiful this country was, but how rich it was in kind of culture and and history and things like that. And so I, I wanted to bring those elements into the show as well and remind people of what we've got here Yeah, when we were all stuck here. You did a beautiful post about it yesterday. And it was really striking, and I think it's worth talking about because it's really inspirational as well because you talk about how long, like you say, seven years there, but that's for this project, how this is the biggest project of your career in in many regards. And you at points had given up on acting and you'd had to write the role for you to to get this opportunity. And it's now this... This, this huge thing. So can you tell me a little bit about that kind of w- when you wanted to get into acting initially and what the journey has been along that route, I guess? Yeah, totally. So um, I'm the youngest of nine children, um, right. wow. Irish Catholics, you know, grew up in Gloucester 
And when I was four, on my fourth birthday, I sat on my parents' steps and my auntie had called. And I remember, I remember the sun coming through the front door and I was sat on that bottom step with the big cream phone in my hand and saying, uh, and my auntie had called up and I said, I'm four today and I'm going to be an actress like that. And then what happened was me and my brothers and sisters is we would put on little plays for our parents and stuff like that. And I was always a box or a tree or something because I don't think they trusted me to say anything. Um, but and then and then I did it was always did plays at school and then I did amateur dramatics. And then I got a grant to go to drama school mm-hmm. when I was 20. When I was. Yeah, no. What happened was I got a place at drama school when I was 21, but I couldn't afford to go. So I re-auditioned to get a grant from my local council, Gloucester County Council, who were giving out three, one for music, one for dance and one for drama. And I got the one for drama. I remember I was temping at the post office when I found out that I had got it. And I remember sat at my desk at Gloucester Post Office, looking out across Walls Roundabout and thinking, this is going to change my life. Went to drama school in London. It wasn't enough, the grant. So I had to also audition for a scholarship, which I got as well. Right, wow. Went up to the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts in London at 23. I was the oldest in, I think there was a guy older than me. Did drama school for three years, graduated and then never got a single job, like just never got a job. And I was like, I can't be, I know when I've done badly, right? And I would do some terrible, like cringeworthy auditions, terrible. (laughs) But I know that I did some good ones along the line as well, but I literally never got anything my friend, Jen Bristol on the circuit, I told her this story a couple of years ago. We were backstage and I said, you know, I've been auditioning for 20 years and I've never got a job from, from an audition. And she couldn't stop laughing. She was like, have you done this in a bit? And I was like, no, I've never, I've never really talked about that in my stand-up. I don't know why. And then I think I got an advert for Sweet Corn. And then my friends cast me, in, but Jim Howick and Matt Bainton, cast me and go but they were my friends I didn't have to audition for it and yeah. it was that part of Annie and then and now I've got this that I've written myself so it's been a long journey I, I really I really want people to not give up yeah because it's it's tough going I remember when I was about 28 29 and I just had knockback after knockback and I was like I don't think I can live like this I don't think I'm I've got enough confidence as a person to be able to live like this to be constantly rejected. And I'd always written, I'd always written sketches and and scribbled away and things like that. And I'd always loved comedy. But, you know, working class didn't have like parents who could sort of bail me out. So I'd always had day jobs since I was Mm -hmm. 15. And I thought, well, if I do stand up, I can do that in the evening and I can hold down a job. So that is what I did, fell in love with it and did that, you know, did that for 10 years before I had any success really. I was 42 when I wrote A Bick For Her, which was the show that did well in Edinburgh, yeah. which which kind of turned things around a little bit for me. But before A Bick For Her, I was kind of thinking, you know, I've got kids now. You know, what am I sort of doing? What am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to write about something that I care about. And I, you know, I didn't. I didn't, well, I didn't think it would do well, let's put it that way. Mm. Because at that time, 2011, 2012, 2013, feminism wasn't really an easy subject to do in the clubs, like on the circuit, you know. And when I was working stuff out at New Material Nights, you know, I I, I just dug in, you know, I dug in and I just did it. 
And um, it was a real surprise to me that it, it did well, actually. And then I thought, oh, well, that's surprising. And then it did well in Edinburgh. And then that opened a few doors, not TV doors, mm. but more people were coming to the shows, which was really brilliant for me, you know, to have audiences for the first time, really. That was amazing. And I just sort of kept my head down and wrote another show the following year and then another one and another one. And then, you know, a, my, a, a show I wrote about Brexit did well. And I was continuing to pitch shows to commissioners and production companies. Nothing really took off. And then I did a pilot for Channel 4, but it, it didn't get a series. And then I'd had this on the back burner, this idea, but it existed, like I say, in a different kind of format. Hmm. Um, the original Linda wasn't in the menopause because I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And then... Yeah, and that, and then um, you know you can't you can't rely on stuff. You can't rely on stuff getting commissioned. You've got to carry on with your life and producing stuff and doing work and earning money. And and I love stand up anyway, and I will continue to do that. I was gigging throughout this whole process. I'm still gigging now. I will always be doing shows until I until I die. I don't think I will ever give up stand up. Uh, but th- this is kind of like a a little rare gem for me to be able to do this. Yeah. I, I still can't believe it, to be honest with you. I can't believe that it's been made and whatever happens with it or to it, kind of the best thing has already happened. Yeah, yeah. Which is that I, I, I got to make this thing. <laughs> I kind of tell this story all the time, but I come from music originally and I had a, a record mm. label and we would always celebrate the day the artwork and music is submitted rather than the day it came out, because by the time it comes out, you're looking at sales and you're looking at charts and you're looking at all these different things. Yeah. And we would always celebrate to go, no, look, we've made this thing. That's How right. fucking amazing is that? Because again, it is, it yeah. is distracting. As soon as you're now on all sorts of promo runs and all these other things, there will be all this pressure on, oh, what time is it coming on? And, and what are the viewing numbers? And what are this and that? It's like, no, you've made this and that's <laughs> what's amazing. And I think your story yeah. is really important there as well, because... It's important for people to hear this because both of these industries, acting and stand-up, there's so much chance involved and there's so many other people in control of your fate and your destiny as such. I guess there's so much that's out of your hands. So I'm really uh, lucky. Just before I moved into acting, I I had Stephen Graham on this podcast and hearing that after his performance in This Is England, which is generally considered one of the great British performances in recent years, he didn't b- b- book a gig for 18 months. What? Uh, oh, I think I read that, yeah. So when there's times, so when there's periods I've had no work, I get to yeah. say, well, it's not because I'm shit, because Stephen Graham isn't shit. <laughs> and he, yeah. he similarly didn't get work for no. ages. So to have that confirmation of people like yourself, who people know aren't shit, <laughs> that, <laughs> that you've had these periods where it's like, well, I don't know what's going on here. It's 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 empowering. I think there's a tendency as well, not within like the industry, but for people to think that it's it's easy for people and, you know, they're just turning work down left, right and centre and they've arrived at that point actually quite easily and everything has been, you know, I decided to do this and then I'm doing it. But actually that's most that's not most people's experience yeah. at all. No. It just is not. There's been many obstacles along the way and many, many rejections. And yeah, it's it's not easy at all. But I wouldn't have done it any other way. I can say that with my hand on my heart, yeah. you know, uh, because I would just not be the same person and my work wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think your 
excitement over anxiety is because of when it's happening. I like I know like I started I got my break in music at at 25 or 26 which now I look at as young but at the time but that's quite old for getting into the music industry <laughs> and I know that I didn't have any of the the troubles of just being too pissed or too on dr- or drugged up or whatever else because I've done all that in my teens so yeah. to now be touring it was all quite grown up but it meant that I could do it to the best of my ability whereas if I'd yeah. had that break at 18 or 19 I probably would have fucked it up because I would have gone there's free booze everywhere and let's have this so do you feel this coming at this point in your career means that you're more in that no I can just focus on making what I want to make and now I'm I'm buzzed to have done it kind of thing I think it's a few I think it's a few things actually I feel genuinely that all roads have led here like I was saying earlier I feel like it's going out on that date yeah, and yeah. couldn't have gone out on it in any other year on yeah. any other on any other day, uh, and I feel I feel it's a combination of things. I think it is the fact that I worked in offices from fifteen to thirty six. Mm-hmm. I did do that. I had day jobs that I did not enjoy or like yeah. or find rewarding in any way, um, and that it's always been just a real passion and a love for me to act and write and then do stand-up. So I'm already like loving everything. (laughs) You know, the failures, the ups and downs, I'm already winning because I'm not working in a a factory anymore, any of that. And also I naturally, I'm very lucky that I was just born with an optimistic outlook. And I know that it's all chemicals in the brain and we're all born differently but that's how I was born so I feel privileged in that way as well um then I feel like all my work to date and all the ideas that I've had and all of my life experiences have gone into this show you know my memories um the things that are important to me you know experiences all of that stuff is in it and I don't feel like it's a cynical show and I don't feel like I was made to compromise with anything and I feel like like as a writer this is my voice on screen. Mm. So there's there's no part of it that is making me anxious because I had lost control. I yeah. think a, a loss of control can make you feel fearful or worried yeah. and anxious because you're like, well, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And also a kind of acceptance of if things are picked up on, well, they're, they're picked up on and they're out of my hands. When I started writing columns for The Guardian and actually writing about things that were important to me, you know, feminism, like Brexit, you know, climate change, you have to accept that not everyone's going to agree with you. And also on a personal level, that not everyone's going to like you. You know, a lot of people will really not like you. And I've gone through all that. I went through all that in 2013. And then when my book came out, and also I'm 52 in August, and the menopause has been incredibly, it's been a huge point in my life. It's been life changing. And I don't worry so much anymore about what people think. Uh, and I, but I think that comes with age as well, right? You mm-hmm. know, I, 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 yeah. like I say, I'm 51 now. I think you do tend to calm down a bit more. You learn to love yourself a bit more, your mistakes, your flaws, uh, and all of that. And I think I couldn't have made this show younger because I would have perhaps been worried about how I came across, what I looked like, were, were my messages clear enough? Oh, have I written the wrong thing for somebody? I don't have that. Also, it's an ensemble piece and there were so many people involved. You know, the crew, the cast, the production team, me, my execs, 
I'm not there by myself. There's a mm. whole bunch of people involved in this. And the script has gone out to various people, heads of department, actors and stuff. And people haven't gone, oh, God. <laughs> this is rubbish. What are we doing? <laughs> Why are we making I mean, this? <laughs> you know, th- there's all those tiny things. So there's a combination of things that, have, like you say, have overridden any anxiety that I may have felt. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to talk about that kind of ensemble. And as, as looking through and the cast is amazing, but I want to talk specifically about how was it working with Jerome from Robson and Jerome? And were you in love with him in Soldier Soldier? And when they did Unchained Melody? Because again, he's just amazing. He's, a, he's, an, he's, he's an icon. Obviously, he's done loads of stuff since. He's amazing in Game of Thrones, is this legend. But that was the one that j- jumped out among all the wonderful comedians and comedic actors um, in there. Oh, he jumped out. I mean, I'm obviously annoyed that you've not picked a lady. Oh, of um, course. Sorry. My apologies. <laughs> yes. No, let's make it all about a man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, it's very interesting. In fact, the Robson and Jerome thing had not really, really come into my mind at all when I was thinking about this character. Yeah. At all. I had seen Jerome in... John Wick three, uh, three, yes, right, two yeah. or three, and in Black Mirror. Yeah. And I was reminded of him, and I haven't seen Game of Thrones. Yeah. And in Ripper Street. Yeah. Which was, I found, mind-blowing. He has a real vulnerability, but a strength to him. He's very interesting. And this this character, well, I'm going to tell you the story first. So, I wrote Pigman, not necessarily with somebody in mind. But I knew that he leapt out at me and I, I knew on the, on the page, he was a character that me and Morwenna Gordon, my executive producer, when I was writing the scripts, he was just there immediately on the page. Yeah. And like his whole backstory, his personality, everything was there. And he, he was a very easy character to write. And I wrote him with these things in mind. I could see him in the forest, you know. Yeah. And I, and I wrote him and, I thought of this story, which was that he was travelling back from work in the city and he had seen, I don't know if this is in the show, whether this is a spoiler or not. Anyway, he has a tragic backstory, but basically he goes to the forest to then look out for these wild boar that are living there. And that was because that is a true story that was that I was quite moved by, the wild boar population that and that they were trying the Forestry Commission were trying to keep on top of those numbers. Right. Anyway, blah 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 blah. So the pigs were very important. So oh it's pig man. So then he protects them and all of this business. And then one of the things that this character brought to his new life, which was very simplistic, like no luxury like left his whole life behind. He was very rich and he left all that behind and he came to the forest to live this very simple life. The only thing that he keeps from his old life is a milk froth. He cannot drink coffee right. without frothy milk. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's just not an option. Okay, fair. <laughs> right. So then we have the milk frother. I don't know if you've seen all the episodes no, no, or no, whatever. No. Um, so he, has, he loves his coffee. So anyway, so then, you know, we contact, Jerome and you know initially I think there were some reservations and then I emailed him and then explained the character really in full and all of this stuff and then unbelievably he came on board because I I think he's quite you know he doesn't do everything you know and then 
after he was cast, I found out that he had made this film, Hogwood. He'd done all this campaigning about pig farming. and Right. And so he was actually the spokesman for, for um, this film, Hogwood, a modern horror story, which is one of the most traumatic films I've ever done. I do recommend anybody to watch it, made by an incredible woman called Juliet Galatly, um, who's founded a, a charity, Viva Charity, and she has worked tirelessly for the last, I don't know, 30 years for animal rights. One of the most amazing women that I've ever met in my life. Anyway, so I was like, my God, but you're Pigma. And then he says, we have this initial phone call. And he was like, you know, you won't know this, but I'm known as the frothy coffee guy in my area because I make this frothy coffee drink. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So there's all these really weird things. And then and then he came on board. And then, of course, he was just absolutely perfect. And he's just incredible in, in the part. And I just, you know... It just couldn't have been anybody else. And, you know, he's a special guy. You know, what can I say? You know, the, the cast is incredible. Yeah. You know, and he was just great at that part. You know, can't imagine anyone else doing it, really. You know, great to work with, very thoughtful, very, very thoughtful. You know, wanted, very, wanted to get everything right. Very collaborative. You know, we talked a lot about the script and costume and you know who he was and props and I mean maybe you know he probably asked too many questions if I'm (laughs) joking (laughs) no I love collaborating yeah I love collaborating and that was a real joy like you know just having that freedom of being on set and making sure everyone was okay with what they were saying and do you want to talk about anything or oh it was just really I don't know I'm born. Well, that's an interesting point I wanted to discuss. How did you find that balance? And did you separate or drift between the two of being the writer and the lead kind of thing? So, so Or being an actor and a writer in this situation? Or was this always a fluid thing that you're there having that ability to kind of change everything f- freely should it need it? It felt, I don't really know how to say this because I'm not very good at things like that. But the only way I can describe it is I was never really in actor mode like because because mm-hmm. I was exec producing as well. Yeah. And so I think I was never not a writer. Yeah. So I don't think there was a point where I could I left all of that behind. I'm not sure any writer does. I think yeah. I think we just run out of time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I just I loved acting. It wasn't um a difficult thing for me at all. Uh, but I I always had an eye on things. On, on everything that was going on. And it just felt like we were talking about before. Oh, I'm going to regret saying this, but I, I felt like a kind of, um, not a caretaker, but like I was like, is everything okay? Like I sort of wanted yeah. everything to be all right, you know, and I, and I was never just in my role as Linda. Yeah. But I really loved that. It, it was, I mean, although the team was incredible, like everyone was doing their job and, yeah. and did that. But um, I still like to make sure everything was okay. And... Or, you, or, or you're hosting them all in your world. A host. So, so you're the host. Yeah. You're the host of this situation. It's, it's, like it's a your big childhood party. world, and you've brought yeah. them all in. And even yeah. if they're having an amazing time and doing the best, you're going to want to go. Have you got everything you need? Is, there, is everything yeah. is everything okay? It's like yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it was like we were all in my house. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If that makes sense, in an area that that I love so much, you know, with all these brilliant, wonderful people, you know, crew in, crew included in that, actually. You know, a really weird thing was that the project kind of attracted such great people who really put their 
hearts and souls into it, you know, from the music. My God, Shirley Collins singing the theme. I can't, the more I think about it, like, I just can't believe, like, oh, and our, our, you know, composer Alexis Grapsus and, and everybody who put so much into it. Yeah. You know, every everyone really just really felt like they, it was a shared vision by everybody and that, and that everyone was working towards the same thing, you know? I love that. And your excitement and passion about it is fl- fl- flooding out of you. But one of the things I, l- I love in these situations is like on that post you did on Instagram, I love jumping in the comments and seeing people that I either <laughs> know and adore or or just am a big fan of all so, so excited for this and for you people like mm. Josie Long and Rob Alton oh. and Marcus Brigstock and all oh. these people it seems you're so well regarded in the industry and it does feel like as you said this is something that's been coming for such a long time so and again it is an industry that can be bitter and jealous and re- and resentful but you don't get any of that in this in this moment it feels so it's yeah it's oh. a beautiful a beautiful thing to see well something that i hope is that and i know that i've been so lucky because channel 4 never at any point in this process like from years ago never ever wanted me to water anything down they didn't want me to come at it at a different angle or mm. they really wanted my and i i think it's kind of I, I I would be probably considered an alternative act, you know, on the circuit. And it feels like a bit of a, 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 a triumph for all of us. I feel like this show, not that it's not a shiny, a shiny kind of, <laughs> a, a shiny show for yeah. everyone. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's... still shiny. Don't worry. It's still shiny. <laughs> Don't get me it's, wrong. <laughs> it's shiny. I feel like, I hope it makes people feel like they can be authentic to who they are not just as people, but as as like writers and, and acts as well. Because somebody who you mentioned, somebody like Josie, who I've just adored and admired for 20 years. I mean, she's my go-to everything. Yeah. I hope it makes everyone feel like they can get something made. They can yeah. get something made as as well. And to not think that it is it is just a cynical process where the person with the highest profile always gets the slots. I think you're completely right. And Josie's you know, a perfect example there. Because I know Josie is someone who's struggled at points at feeling, oh, have I been too outspoken? Have I been too political? Have I been too left of centre? Been, been too unusual? You've done all of those things as well. You've written these shows that are speaking on all these subjects. So I can completely see how it's a massive thing to say, look, I've not had to alter anything down. I've persisted and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Josie is doing brilliantly. I mean, her she's, film she's and amazing. her book coming yeah. out and she, you know, she's a massive success story. Just a massive, like I was gigging with her when she was 16 and she was yeah. l- leagues ahead of everyone oh. I'd met up until that point then. I know. And Come has on. just continued I mean, on that trajectory. I mean, it's not on really. No. Really <laughs> I mean, I always... She's someone who I feel so lucky and privileged to be able to call a friend as well. Yeah. I mean, my God. But it, it does, you know, this little show does feel like it, it got through under the wire, you know? Yeah. I know that I've got an amazing cast, but people don't know who I am, you know? And so it, it, fair play to Channel 4. I mean, they don't, within comedy, people people might know, but the public don't know who I am. You know, it's not a risk, but it was... It was um, it was amazing for them to back this, you know, mm. and and actually 
the, the first time, I think when the press release went out and I saw a description of the show against that big four, I thought, wow, you know what? This show didn't, wouldn't have belonged on any other channel, I don't think. Yeah. It's yeah. really found its correct home. Yeah. You know, I was saying earlier about, I don't think this show could have come out on any other date in any other year, like except for the 21st of June, 2023. I, I also feel like, it had to be on Channel 4 as well. It just feels feels really... Everything feels like it's meant to be. Yeah. I know that sounds a bit hippie no, but... No, I love it. And we've spoken of, of, of friendships there. And this podcast will be coming out on the 21st of June. No. Uh, 2023. But So that's the day the show comes out, but also a few weeks before Bridget Christie and Friends. And, yes. And, and then your Fringe show and, and run. So tell me a bit about Bridget Christie and Friends and what's the... The plan there, open air gig. Open air gig, yeah, fantastic gig. Um, I've I've done it before, but as a friend, uh, not as the one who has friends. Amazing. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be just absolutely fantastic. Just got some brilliant acts on, and um, I, I'm really looking forward to that. And Edinburgh, just like eight days. Yeah, uh, I think I'm doing eight or nine shows, and then the tour, obviously. So like lots, lots going on still. Well, tell me a little bit about kind of 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 the new show because it is kind of. Is it your first new show since the huge global event that obviously I'm talking about Taskmaster, <laughs> not COVID? So, and, and it, because again, things like Taskmaster are a big effect on, as you said, a building audience and, 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 and all that kind of thing. What is the new show and how, how are you? Yeah, oh, really great. Well, the new show actually is not, I mean, it has evolved and changed over the last couple of years, but it was a lockdown show that got postponed. Right. So it is my show from then that was mo- that was that was moved. Moved and moved um, again. And then in the interim, Taskmaster happened, which my God! So that offer came in during lockdown when I wasn't gigging very much, and I was just like, "Yes, oh my God!" I think I think something that's happened to me in the last couple of years as well, which is brilliant, and is because of the menopause, is that I, I wonder if I'd have done a show like Taskmaster before because I don't know, I may not have had the confidence to do something like that, maybe. But I actually I really jumped at the chance and it has changed things for me, you know. Yeah. I mean, one of the, it was an absolute joy to do that. And there's loads of young people coming to the show, really young, um, which is great because, you know, I've got like uh, 12 year old boys now coming to a show about the menopause and feminism, which is, <laughs> which is uh, you know, stopping me in the street and stuff like that. But everyone should know about the menopause anyway. Uh, yeah. But Taskmaster did. Um, Obviously, I've got, you know, people who were coming to the show before then, but I have noticed a much more diverse audience now yeah. coming along, which which is great. So Taskmaster, yeah. And then Ghosts as well, that, that yeah. Ghosts have got their own audience and people who love that are coming. And, and I hope that the change has another, um, there's another load of people who've watched that who will come along. Essentially, really, I, I love live performing and that's what I'll be doing forever. And I think all these things can only help yeah. and I love meeting my audiences I love touring I don't I like being away from my kids because they're teen they're like 12 and 16 but but the actual job part of it I love you know the doing the show and then meeting people after oh, there's nothing like it you know just just be just living in the moment stand up oh you know there's nothing like it yeah the, the, there's nothing like being able to just be thinking on your feet and to have something happen in the room and to be able to say that. You know, more people should try it, actually. <laughs> yeah. More yeah. people should try well, it. It's it's one of the things I love about about Taskmaster and yourself and Laser Tarbuck, 
who is of course also in the change. Um, my, and, my sister, and, yeah, and was a wonderful taskmaster contestant as well. The thing I lo- I love about it is you have to let go of everything essentially. Like you can go in there, like as you did, you you can go in there with wonderful outfits planned, but that's <laughs> as much of the control as you have. As soon as you're in there, w- w- essentially what happens happens. It feels like. Yeah, totally. But I think that's how I approach life now a little bit is, you know, just be dressed well. And then when I had my two children, um, I didn't have a birth plan because I was like, you know what, you can plan a certain amount, but (laughs) you may as well just try and just just chill a bit, you know, about everything. I'm really, this goes back to that thing about the anxiety around the show coming out. You know, what will be will be, you know. I think as you get older, you do, you do calm down a little bit, you know, but you can't control everything. And you, you've you got to, I think, the, something like Taskmaster, it's about accepting yourself. And if you love yourself more, that, you know, you don't, you're not as fearful about your conduct and your behaviour and how you come across. And actually, I think if you do love yourself a bit more, then that comes through and then people do love you more. It's like this weird catch-22 thing, isn't it? Where yeah. Right, if I love myself more, then maybe other people will as well. Yeah. It's a weird thing. There's so many cliches that are cliches because they're true. Like, you you can't expect yeah. anyone to truly love you until you love yourself. It until sounds so cheesy, yourself. but it's like, no, that kind of thing does end up being annoyingly accurate and annoyingly true. Because you get to present your true self. The more comfortable you are, the yeah. more you're presenting your true self rather than a falsified version of you that you can exactly. never m- m- maintain. So You can't maintain You're it. making honest interactions and honest friendships rather than trying to be who you think they want you to be, right? You know. Yeah, exactly. And if you're trying to be someone else and someone doesn't like that, then what is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? Well, yeah. you should ring them up and say, well, that wasn't me anyway. That, that you know, wasn't actually. even me, so yeah. you've not so, won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so knock yourself out. Yeah, <laughs> you lose. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, yeah. I, I know you've got to go and do real world things, so I'll wrap things up. But I want oh, to kind what of... a shame. I think we could have done like five times as long. <laughs> I completely agree. But I want to kind of end on a question I didn't have written down, but everything mm. that we've talked about, it's got me the most curious. How are you spending the 21st? How are you? What are you going to be doing on the day it all goes out? This offering goes into the world. Are you celebrating it or are you ignoring it completely? What's your plan? I, I was going to be at Stonehenge for the summer solstice. Yeah. But I've got to see what press comes in. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's okay to say that. <laughs> Look, anyone, I, I think anyone that wants to do press on the day for this show should be accepting that they have to do it at Stonehenge. That's perfect. <laughs> it's a perfectly reasonable demand. <laughs> yeah, we'll just get all the crews to come to Stonehenge. Yeah. Actually, you know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, it really isn't. Do it like a big old school press conference. Have them all g- gather everyone around the stones. Yeah. That you know that but that is what I had planned to do. Yeah. Cuz it's like I was going to go up the night before and then it's about it's about 2:50 or something like that, isn't it? It's in the afternoon. It's like half right. 2. Yeah. It might be like 10 to 3 something like that. And then I would maybe have time to get home and watch it for 10 o'clock, you know, when it goes out. But my plans, I have to tell you, are up in the air at the moment. I see. Well, but I'm not I'm going to try not to control the situation. <laughs> and go with the flow 
I love it. So I've been talking about. But yeah, I feel like we there's so much more to say, but well, I can't believe I haven't been on no, before. I can't can't believe it. I genuinely double checked when <laughs> I mean I, I don't mean that arrogantly. No. I just I just think it seems like we know all the same. <laughs> no, I I genuinely completely agree. And I've caught loads of your shows. Like I'm a big fan. I think you're wonderful. So it was I genuinely oh, did a quick search yeah. of my own podcast to go. <laughs> We definitely haven't talked, right? I've not. Have I forgotten this? But what if we had done about six times and neither of us had remembered? <laughs> or Josie, jo- jo- Josie and Sarah Pascoe are the two people that get requested the most, despite having b- been on before. So I was w- worrying it was a similar situation that typically <laughs> yeah. the audience have forgotten all the women I've had on because you've been talking about Jerome every time. <laughs> because I'm banging on about Jerome constantly. Every, every, I'm glad finally there was a podcast it was relevant for. <laughs> Normally, when I'm like, "Do you remember S- S- Soldier Soldier?" People are like, "What are you talking about?" I'm here. I'm here to talk about my new album. But I appreciate you taking the time. I'm, I'm glad we got oh, to do it, and we'll have to do it again too. soon. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful time. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. How wonderful is Bridget and how excited are you all for the change? I'm very excited. You definitely need to catch Bridget up at the Fringe. If you're up at the Fringe, B. Dolan is doing a few dates at the last week of the Fringe and then he's doing a tour where he's going to, to, to Glasgow Manchester, I believe Bristol or Birmingham or Bristol and Birmingham, Leeds, Brighton and London. And this is B's first tour since having spine surgery that almost killed him. Um, And kind of the reason he had to have the spine surgery was because of all the touring. So the fact that he's come back to this at all, and particularly all the way across the Atlantic, is incredibly exciting. So grab your tickets now. Grab them early. I've been saying this a lot on Twitch and stuff recently. On all... um, on all situations, if you can, grab your tickets early for anything, for Bridget's tour, for Dolan's tour, for all these things, because it really genuinely helps the mental health of the performers, because, you know, it's scary to be touring, to be thinking, oh, there's no one going to turn up, I'm going to be, I'm going to lose money, or whatever else, so the more you can buy tickets early, the, the better it really helps everyone, so, yeah, if you are kind of a, oh, I'll get them later, if you can, get them now rather than later. And uh, yeah, it helps. Anyway, I'll be back next week. Until then, this is the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. Please stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.